0: This is the PropTech VC podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. Today, we're here with Jeff Grobstein, the founder and CEO of Yield Easy, where we'll be discussing multifamily apartments and prop tech startups. So, Jeff, tell us a bit about your background. Well, first of all, Zane, appreciate you having me on. Super pumped to be with you today. Uh, Give you a quick kind of overview. Obviously, we'll jump through a lot today, but obviously, uh, you know, go through my background. Started, so I'm from the Philadelphia area, grew up here, um, lived in kind of the suburbs and uh, migrated to the city for college. Uh, Went to Drexel University where I uh, Majored in finance and had a concentration in real estate. All of my kind of internships, if you will, were always in private wealth management and private equity and and finance in general. And that was really kind of the direction I was going in. And, And, you know, I was really always interested in the stock market. Didn't really have kind of a grip as to where exactly I wanted to spend my time and focus and energy and, you know. As a kid and, and kind of the entrepreneurial roots, my family uh, immigrated here from uh, Eastern Europe in, in the late 80s, and I was born here shortly thereafter. So very kind of entrepreneurial hustle background, do, you know, do what it takes uh, attitude. So always knew at some point I wanted to do something for myself, just didn't know where I'd break in and, and how I would do it. So finance was kind of the logical route. Uh, You know, Drexel University had a really great program where uh, their co-op, they called it, which is basically an internship on steroids where you're pretty much working uh, nine to five Monday through Friday for an entire semester. So it's basically a full time job. And so I I jumped around every year where um, one one was at a large wealth management fund. They had about $8 billion assets under management where I was kind of supporting the 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 analysts, the associates, the managing team. Um, Another one was uh, I worked at Susquehanna Growth Equity, which is a a very well-known private equity shop. And I was kind of finding my rhythm and my groove in there. And real estate pretty much came on my screen radar I call it, you know, very unnaturally, I, I just always kind of had an affinity for homes and houses and architecture and buildings and didn't really kind of wrap my mind around the fact that you could build a business around it. It was just so like, you know, when you look at a Ferrari, like, look how nice that car is always, always like, Oh, look how cool that building is, you know, really kind of learned at the age of 18, what that you could get a real estate salesperson's license and, and, you know, sell these things. So I never sold anything in my life but I got the real estate license. And, uh, you know, it was, it was shortly thereafter where I realized I can't stare at a Bloomberg terminal screen all day long. I don't actually enjoy finance. It was just kind of an umbrella term for business, if you will. And so, you know, I, I did the whole sell a house for my mom's friends type of deal, showed a couple units in, in center city as rentals. And I was like picking up traction there and said, oh, this is really fun and enjoyable because you're kind of your own boss and you're on your own schedule. Um, but you know, as you know, traditional real estate brokerage and, and, and being a salesperson is very competitive and it's a very fierce market. And a lot of the business does go to the guys who have a track record and have a book of business. So when I had left, uh, Drexel and graduated, uh, in 2017, I was looking for a full-time job at that point. And I had the license and I never really thought about using it as, as a full-time role because I, you know, kind of had the traditional thought process of, Get into a big bank, an investment bank type role where you know at some point you'll scale up and grow through the ranks and, and kind of climb the ladder, if you will. So my first job accidentally uh, happened to, by coincidence, be at, at a large development shop. They're a private equity kind of urban infill group in Philly that does class A apartments. So started there as an intern right at a college and basically had to learn everything from scratch, kind of threw out the whole residential real estate, you know, lens into the garbage can because it had no parallels to what I was doing. So. There, I learned everything from underwriting deals, raising equity from investors, how you know investor relations works, what it takes to get a fifteen million dollar loan, what does full recourse mean, you know, what does it mean to build hundred units in a suburb, going to a zoning hearing board meeting, and really kind of just fell in love with how much goes into it that you don't see and how many kind of different hats you wear, and that to me really appealed, kind of given the entrepreneurial lens that I had of like you know there isn't this mundane. Day to day, you know, pull up an analysis sheet, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, scoped to, to this business, and that really attracted me to commercial real estate. And my brain kind of kicked on and said, "This is this is where we need to play." Now you just need to find what's most replicatable, and and at some point be able to do it yourself. So I spent about a year and a half at this company, uh, working closely with the acquisitions team. We bought up half of a uh, yeah, a really big chunk of of a high income suburb of Philly. Where uh, they ended up building, I want to say close to 300 luxury apartments. Um, from there, I went to a large workforce housing owner. Uh, they have about 9,000 units under management, and they were, you know, all throughout the Midwest and the Sun Belt, and that was super interesting because that was kind of a different side of real estate uh, commercially, where they weren't building anything; they were pretty much buying undervalued and distressed assets where they could kind of inject value, you know, so to speak, value add that everyone likes to call it. And these are not class A apartments. These are workforce housing, class housing, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's something where the traditional ownership is out of state. They're not staying on top of it. There's a lot of loss to lease. And for the non real estate folks, that basically means people not keeping up with the market and losing rent and upside just by not paying attention to their assets. And so this was a a very kind of shrewd owner who was, you know, providing a great experience to the tenants, but at the same time, you know, creating value for shareholders. And I saw this as like a kind of wow moment. And naturally I'm a lazy person and I like to take a lot of shortcuts and I kind of saw, wow, okay, so on the one side of this business, you have the development where from the moment you buy a piece of land to the time your tenant signs their first lease, this is almost a two to three year thing. Whereas here you go in and at the closing table, you're buying 400 existing apartments with cash flow from day one, and you have a business plan as to hire and increase the value of this asset. And to me, that kind of was like, this is very replicatable. You know notwithstanding the fact that i had no money at the time and you know it's a very capital intensive business so my brain was thinking you know is it possible to do on a smaller scale how can i break into this space Buy, you know undervalued apartment buildings whether they're small you know round up family and friends money and kind of go 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 through those you know hurdles so spent a year there the year i think it was actually two years i'm sorry but uh, i want to say close to 20 30 million dollars worth of real estate with them uh, really kind of hunker down on underwriting how these buildings are appraised with banks and so forth and so on you know what the investor questions are and really at the same time kind of learning the business but also seeing you know for myself like what how, what it takes to be in this game Finally ended up at a very large uh, institutional kind of backed uh, owner operator of a very similar asset class, but they were kind of hyper local to the tri-state PA, Jersey, Delaware area where I had more of a senior role. Um, I was actually running the acquisitions department. And that for me was kind of the first kind of taste of entrepreneurial spirit where it's like, you know, here's what we're targeting, go find it. And it was really just a game of flip, turning over rocks, underwriting, you know, five deals a day, calling owners off market, you know, interacting with brokers. And so one of the most interesting deals we did was a very large deal in Delaware that we actually bought out of special servicing. It was, you know, as as people in the business like to call it a deal with a lot of hair on it. And this was a massive, massive property that was super vacant that required so much, you know, work. And, you know, seeing how much value you get when you buy something that a lot of people don't want to touch was really what attracted me to the space, similar to kind of Warren Buffett's whole methodology to buying undervalued stocks, right? And so, you know, when you have something at baseline that's already worth something and you can buy it for pennies on the dollar because people think it's ugly, you know, that's when, that's when you buy. And so, made, uh, we ended up buying close to a $100 million, including renovation costs worth of real estate. You know, I had an associate and an analyst on our team, and and it was really kind of the time, and we were gunning. Real estate market, you know, kept kind of getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and the principles of the company really would not uh, move, and this is something I really respected, was they never changed their kind of window, right? So it doesn't matter how hot the market is, we're not paying over at a certain price because that's gonna eat into our returns. And that kind of discipline... Um, you know, I'm very young and as a young person, I'm sure a lot of people can attest to it. You know, there's kind of the Instagram Instagram structure. You need that structure. You need that discipline. It's very easy. If you haven't lived through multiple cycles to come in and play the market game where everyone's overbidding and finding a way to make the deal pencil. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, it just became as the, as, as there was downward pressure on cap rates, cost of capital became lower. It really just became a game of financial engineering and who could underwrite the deal the most efficiently, even if the assumptions in the deal were the most insane things you've ever seen. I mean, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know very well yourself some of these things that these brokers put out, it's almost laughable. Um, and it became a very competitive game because you had a lot of guys who were proprietary, you know, dollar guys. It was their own money, partner owned company competing against these syndicator groups who were doing crowdfunding or whatever it may be, who frankly don't really have the best interest of their investors in mind. The the, the business kind of slowed down at that point when, when a lot of the kind of silly capital came in. And, you know, I figured that was a, a good time to kind of like, you know, look at the stars and say, what do I wanna be when I get older and and, and kind of take that leap of faith. So I ended up funny enough, jumping back into investment sales, working with a buddy of mine who had a boutique brokerage here in Philly. And we were selling, uh, you know, I would call it middle market size deals, 10 to $30 million. And we we, we did that fairly successfully. Now at this point in my story, we're, we're gearing up to write about COVID. Um, you know right as things were kind of starting to get a little weird and i was taking my commission dollars and i was buying sub-tertiary and and you know the non-fancy way of saying that was i was buying kind of distressed homes in, in the philly area where a lot of people didn't want to be buying them and i could, the reason i was like doing a single family or, or a multi-family so i was buying single family rental homes that basically needed the the basic bathroom kitchen floors That, you know, a lot of people, it was too small for the uh, sub-institutional owner, but it was too big for the guy who was kind of doing the home flipping stuff. And my whole thing was go in, build a little brand around affordable luxury single-family rentals in up-and-coming parts of Philadelphia, and just kind of grow a little SFR portfolio. So that was like my first jump into entrepreneurial real estate. You know, I had, I had a GC, I had a, I had a property manager, I had a bunch of mortgage brokers that were running around trying to find me the best kind of refinancing, you know, structures. And so we were really kind of going at it. And that was kind of where my head, where my head was going was in this direction of, build a small portfolio and kind of organically scale up, bring on friends and family investors where we can find bigger assets. And as we grow, you know, we kind of build that that same model, uh, similar to the places where I've worked at. I was on my, uh, one of my recent homes. And when I decided I wanted to make the jump into small multi, because, you know, there's more efficiency, There's it's better for tax, you know, repercussions. And so it was almost as if the realtors and brokers I was working with, um, It was almost like I was speaking a different language because anything outside the realm of a single family rental became, well, now there is the component of a rent roll. Now there is the component of a a totally different way of underwriting these deals. And, and, uh, you know, everything's under one roof and one unit is a month to month lease. And, you know, a lot of the listeners here will obviously understand what I'm talking about. It's very different from SFR to small multi. So we saw how fragmented the space was, my co-founder and I, and we've always talked about this how there really is no efficient way to transact in this small multi-space, um, and it's for a variety of reasons. And, and, and I think the top you know, kind of two to three le- reasons is, the first is you have brokers in the space who, given the barriers of entry to getting a real estate salesperson's license, you know, it's passing a test and networking your way in. And once these guys are in, the same time and effort it takes to sell a seven unit building, eight unit, nine unit building is the exact same effort and time and stress it takes for a 30 unit building. And so any reasonable, logical human being is going to spend their time where there's, you know, the largest reward. And so a lot of these deals were going to these, you know, institutional brokerage houses, you know, JLL, Marcus and Miller Chaps and CBs, you know, of the world. And some of the boutique, you know, names in Philadelphia as well. And these kind of deals were, you know, quote unquote, the crumbs that were left over that nobody wanted to touch. And it was too big for the residential realtor, too small for the institutional guys. And you kind of had this emergence of this new player in the space that's now known as quote unquote resi brokerages, which is basically a fancy way of saying a residential realtor who takes on an investment property um, with no real kind of understanding and and background and track record of selling these things. And so we started digging into the numbers and, and some of the things we saw were very staggering. Um, so I'm not going to bore your listeners with numbers here, but we, we dug up the fact that over 53% of multifamily in the United States is small multifamily, and that's anything smaller than a $5 million deal, anything from two to 15 units. And it was the largest segment in multi, yet it was the most underserved due to the fact that there was no efficiency in brokerage in this space. Um, You know a lot of the owners in this in in that segment also were used to paying five six percent and when you tell a mom and pop investor who wants to sell their turnkey rental property you know that's fairly straightforward to understand that they need to pay six percent of their price to sell it these people are going to find an alternative route and people start selling principal to principal owner to owner and that takes a lot of opportunity off the table for investors who are willing to buy these things and they kind of short themselves because they end up, you know, their market is one person. It's the guy down the street that's going to buy it. So, we, you know, kind of segueing into, into what we're building today, our initial plan was let's build a brokerage uh, that specializes in small multifamily, that kind of brings that institutional sophistication and quality that people are used to. Um, because, you know, these guys that were selling their $30 million deals, sometimes they were paying. 0.75%, 75 basis points, 1%. And my thought process was, why do mom and pop investors not have the same efficiency? Why, why should they pay a larger you know, ratio of the price when it's a more straightforward deal anyway? And so we were going to build a discount brokerage model where we were going to kind of be the best in what we did and, and build a brand around small multi. And we realized that the fastest way to pass savings on to these uh, owners is is through tech and enab- tech enabling your platform. So when you look at the traditional brokerage model, you have a broker of record, you have a large office uh, presence, and you have a lot of agents running around finding these deals. You know, every agent has overhead because they have insurance. They have, you know, every, everything that kind of costs to keep a brokerage running. And I think that's a lot of the reason that these uh, fees end up kind of accruing and getting passed on to the to the sellers. So our thought process was, if we make this a tech-enabled platform where we don't need people, it's still a very people-focused business, but if you make it more efficient through the use of the internet and you eliminate a lot of the overhead associated with brokerage, you can run a profitable business while still passing on savings to owners um, and bringing efficiency into this market. So what we are today as Easy is we're an end-to-end platform and brokerage marketplace that specializes in small multifamily that gives investors and sellers the tools needed to transact kind of seamlessly. So we have a lot of channel partners, uh, such as a lender that is gonna be a tech enabled kind of capital markets uh, platform where you're buying the property on our site, you're submitting everything you need to get financing, you're getting a term sheet in 24 hours, you're getting funded in a week. We're plugging you in directly with property managers in the areas that we're kind of aggregating these deals We have a title uh, component that's all in-house that's going to allow you to kind of see what's going on with the title search, close with us. And by bringing it all in-house, making it simpler for the buyer, making it more cost-effective for the investor, and for us and our company, we aggregate all these things under one roof and we we own a piece of every single component of a typical multifamily transaction.